everyone, and welcome to the Learn and Lead podcast. The Learn and Lead podcast is for educators by educators, and we want to bring the world of Arizona public education to you and our thousands of members across the state. Our objective is to provide a platform for the voices of our educator leaders, along with some amazing community allies, and have conversations about those education topics that are on everyone's mind. Hi, my name is Carrie Wolf, and I'm your AEA Learn and Lead Specialist, and I am missing my podcast partner today. Our AEA treasurer, Amber B, is out sick today, but in her honor, I've got a cheesy joke to make myself laugh before the beginning of our episode. So, self, what kind of shorts do clouds wear? I don't know. What do they wear? Thunderwear! (laughs) All right, so not as good as Amber's, but... Let's get into the content. All right. So we have two guests with us today. We have Jesse Giambra from Creighton School District, and we have Dylan Wentz from Tempe Secondary. So two of our strong local leaders um, in the room today to talk about their work on around micro-credentials. And just in case you don't know what micro-credentials are, these kinds of micro-credentials, they're essentially like 15-hour self-paced project-based learning. So you kind of do a little bit of independent research about a topic within the scope of the micro-credential, and then you complete a project to show that you have really applied what you learned to your individual role in your school. So it's really amazing. Um, Some districts even offer like salary credit for it, right, or just professional development hours or part of their 301 plan. And so it's something that's very popular in Arizona. In fact, Arizona leads the country in states that use micro-credentials, like the number of people who are actually getting certified. So it's pretty incredible. So you guys had an opportunity that not many people across the entire country can say that they've had. You guys have actually written a micro-credential over the past two days. Um, How was it? Um, It was a great experience. I think the way that it's been facilitated uh, to have a lot of the preparation work already laid out so that we're just sort of like filling in the main content and big ideas was really helpful because it was uh, not that we had to start completely from scratch um, so that we were able to really bring our unique perspectives, I think, to the table. And then the the finalizing process where, you know, it'll go off to other people before it's published. Again, uh, it took a lot of pressure off, I think, to really like create something perfect. And uh, we had a lot of really nice collaborative discussions and conversations. So uh, yeah, the people around the table, just, you know, everyone brought a unique background. And through that discussion, I think a lot of, uh, you know, shared understanding was able to be, um, you know, brought forth that could be integrated into these credentials. So I definitely had a positive experience. Yeah, I really liked the idea of having K through eight educators, high school educators, ESP uh, personnel that could speak to all those different levels. And that will allow us to create something that a whole bunch of people can find value in, um, no matter where you're at here in Arizona or across the country. Um, That's that process is super cool to be a part of to see going onto the website and seeing what's all there on the PDF and then realizing, oh, we just did that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then being able to add our, our perspectives and our understandings and our, our passions to this so that we can um, build our knowledge around this, this topic of environmental justice. 
Yeah, and I think it was even for multiple subject areas, right? Because you had um, Guillermo's on the team, and he's an HVAC technician, right? And Royd is a Navajo teacher, and then you're an elementary teacher. You teach high school social studies. We had a science coach and a, a middle school teacher on there. Like, there were so many different subjects represented in the room and different, like, backgrounds of, like, even individual humans. So it was really cool to see everyone kind of come together on this topic of climate change, which I feel like is kind of politically divisive, um, you know, according to our, our politicians and our legislature, but it brought a lot of people together and was really uniting in that room. We're all the stakeholders in this. Like, it, it doesn't matter, like, we have young people in our classrooms and we're all going to engage with the young people in our classrooms and then we expand that out to our environment, our climate. We're all experiencing it. We all have something to contribute. Yeah, I definitely agree. And, you know, you mentioned that it's politically divisive to talk, or, you know, the narratives around climate change are politically divisive. And I, I think that's by design because we know that divide and rule has been the strategy of these, you know, colonizing institutions from the beginning. So when there's, You're you speaking know, to my history, heart. <laughs> it is what it is. And, and, and yes, it's by design, right? And, but we cannot allow that to keep going. Like yeah. we're the ones experiencing it. Right. We need to ask these questions. We need to engage with this. And it, it doesn't matter if you're left or right or, or Democrat, Republican. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. We still have it affecting us. Mm -hmm. So how can we do this? How can we engage with it in a meaningful way that yeah. we can also experience joy throughout it? So collaborating, getting to know new people, getting to see and hear and what they are experiencing. I mean, that's, that's the coolest part of this whole thing. Okay, so joining us, we also have Guillermo, who is Let's an... Go, I know, right? <laughs> He's an HVAC technician in Phoenix Union's Classified Education Association, a powerhouse local here in Phoenix. Um, so what was it like for you, Guillermo, to be part of writing this professional development around uh, climate change? Okay, so it was something new to me just because uh, I'm more hands-on tools and everything. You know, I'm uh, in like in a classroom-type environment. So it was something new. I had to adapt to it. I know that we also got to adapt to climate. So talking about it was um, like with experience that I have out in the field and what I see in school buildings just because I'm more hands-on and I look at more buildings in a broader area. Um, I could see where we need to like improve in lighting, um, parking structures, like having solar uh, shades and having canopies for students. Um, and then also for the for HVAC systems, like where we need to improve on them and have more efficiency in HVAC systems to keep the uh, buildings cooler for students. This, is, this is just another example how we're all workers. And though we may not be in the classroom, we're around education, we make education happen. And then go into a climate perspective, we're all here. We're all, we're all living here in the Phoenix area. So we all have our different ways that we're experiencing this. So it's cool to get that into one room and talk through this. Yeah. Well, and each of you has background in this area, you know, and interest in this area before you came into this room today, right? And so can each of you speak to like, what are some things that you have already been involved in around this or something that sparked your interest or um, work that your district's currently doing on this? Um, I just love to know like, what kinds of things are you seeing at the local level that you're now bringing this expertise now to the state and national level? 
I would say that one thing that really sparks my interest around this issue is just that for me anyway, I can't live in the world without seeking to understand, you know, my role within the larger context and then understanding that these issues really converge from the same root uh, then creates for me like, well, what can I do about it? And so at the local level, I have been, uh, you know, involved in the implementation of the school gardens and the Arizona Farm to School School Garden Network and finding that, you know, bringing students in touch with, you know, the source of food, the source of, you know, medicine, the source of culture, really, um, and allowing the students to have, you know, a personal one-on-one interaction with nature uh, and to just really, you know, understand the ecological processes of the earth and, and doing that in real time. And even though it's a bit, you know, it can be daunting to think of bringing students outside into an unstructured environment, but seeing different ways that it's been implemented successfully and, you know, not only in my local, but then, you know, in various schools and districts across the state has uh, then really just encouraged me to basically, you know, continue with that solution-oriented thinking and while still being able to, you know, not ignore the the uh, systemic factors that are, are really creating these situations in the first place. Uh, and I want to just jump in real quick, Jesse, to, to uh, like kind of question your terms. You said unstructured environment outside. Mm. Once we get into the environment, we realize it's incredibly structured, <laughs> right? That's but right. we don't take the time to really engage with that. And that's what climate justice and environmental justice seeks to engage with, is that there's incredible structure that we are living within and actively destroying or promoting and growing. And if we can get our students outside to see that and, and interact with that in the classroom, that's super powerful. And so, like, everything you said is so awesome. Like, that, again, speaks to my passion of history, understanding the history of how we got here. And it's not by accident. There's been intentional plans, some positive, and, and, but a lot that led to the destruction of the different environments that we're now living in and now trying to solve through different um, solutions and even going and saying, well, the indigenous peoples that occupied this area or lived in this area before any interaction they had it going on. They knew what they were doing in order to survive here. So how can we incorporate that knowledge into and how can we seek the voices out that are doing that work and have been doing that work and have been, and have been historically marginalized in doing that work? How can we do that? How can we seek that out to make what are what we're experiencing better? So I'm I'm new to this area. I grew up in South Dakota. Four years ago I moved here with my family and then the pandemic happened. And so, like, now it's just kind of like it's still going on, but able to get out and meet people and, and interact more. Um, it's interesting to learn about the indigenous perspective of land use and management in South Dakota and then coming down here and not having this be my home and and really getting that, losing that sense of belonging and losing that sense of community and then having the pandemic happen and now, like, opening up and saying, like, holy cow, like this place is rich with history, rich with communities that are trying to make this place livable, hopefully for the next hundred years or longer. <laughs> and, but that's becoming increasingly harder with what we're doing, with the economic structures that we have in place. And then getting here and then like, where do we get our water? Like that question is like, it's a wild question, living here in a desert and then expanding and having this be one of the largest growing metropolitan areas. And is that sustainable? Is that good? Like, is that, is this where my kids are going to be able to live? I don't know. And so doing this work um, and going through the history of all that, I think is super cool. 
um, because we need to have these questions and we can't allow this to become political. It's all of us. It's all of us experiencing it and we need to just keep growing. You know, one of the conversations that came up yesterday as you guys were making the micro credentials and writing kind of the, the content for it is this conversation about micro like microclimates, right? And this idea that even within our state like Arizona, we have such different environments and such different issues regionally, right? Like in Flagstaff, they've had to close schools because of wildfires and flooding. And they have had so many of these things happen to them where students are don't have um, access to heat in their homes, right? And then you come to Phoenix and we've got issues of the sweltering heat. We're, we're constantly breaking records. I'm so tired of hearing like, oh, it's a record breaking, you know, summer heat, you know? And students without air conditioning, even schools sometimes where the, a like the AC just goes out, right? And then we're all scrambling and we're praying for Guillermo to come in any <laughs> second and help us. Like, you know, so it's so, it's so interesting how even within a state as, you know, relatively small as ours, we have so many different things happening in schools already that make this like a conversation for right now, right? Yeah, we haven't even got to the learning aspect of what climate change and environmental change like does to our brains and our our physical response to it and to even get into the classroom and have a, a chance to learn something so they may not even know that they're living in a food desert they may not even know the impacts of loss of sleep or the because of warmth or coldness or whatever that is and how that impacts their learning so helping young people and us adults figure out the language around it so that we can be equipped to tackle the challenges and work through those problems. Um, we can't do that if we don't understand just the words that we're going to use to describe it and come to a, a mutual understanding like this is what we need to do or this is what it is and now what are we going to do about it. And Guillermo, you and Phoenix Union, you guys are kind of at the height of innovation for some of these like sustainable practices and already thinking about how to support students in some of these you know ways by looking at transportation changes, right? And like how to be uh, more energy efficient. Can you talk about some of the stuff that you guys are already doing to make your schools a place where students feel safe and healthy? Yeah, so and, uh, so besides like HVAC, um, um, every time, every new school year we get bonds. So as soon as we get a bond or, or new monies, we always uh, renovate uh, old uh, HVAC equipment that we have so to have uh, like energy efficient equipment so we renovate that as bonds come in and then also for transportation uh, i also help uh, bus drive because we're short bus drivers so i help bus drive um, at the end of the day once i punch out from hvac um we're getting uh, little by little we're getting rid of a uh, diesel uh diesel buses and so we're we're purchasing a uh, uh, propane vehicles and also um, electric vehicles. I think right now we have like four or five in Phoenix Union where we have uh, five electric buses and uh, I've had a chance to drive one of them and they're really smooth and they're actually pretty quick too. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Oh and my gosh, you really are a jack of all trades. Bus driver, HVAC technician, you do it all. Yeah, I, I try to, um, so me, I just like to help in all areas wherever I can, you know, like if, if they give the opportunity to help, um, I'm one of the first to jump in and just help because um, I know that the school needs them. Most importantly, the students need them. You know, they need transportation to get home, so I help them. I just, I just like to help, yeah. 
Well, and how amazing that your community has consistently voted for bonds and overrides that allow you guys to do this kind of maintenance. Because I know there's not every community has had that uh, same opportunity, right? There's communities that are like, no, vote no on the bond or, right. you know, and then then what happens? Do they get opportunities to renovate or are they still in buildings from the 1950s, you know, with asbestos in the wall? Because it's, you know, exempt from, you know, some of the mm-hmm. EPA like rules like, for being an older building, right? Like. It's interesting to think about, and so it's amazing that your community has supported your your school district in such a way. Yeah, I think they just um they want to keep seeing like uh, renovations at the schools, you know. Yeah, you're facing an uphill battle, right, with the inequities of different communities having different levels of affluence. So that's that's pretty incredible. Incredible. So you guys have been working on professional development for other educators, and how does it feel that like someone in another state could potentially be taking your micro credential in the next you know couple months? How does that feel? The idea that there are people around the country that have developed already the micro credentials that I've been looking at and seeing the huge value in, and I, I'm looking at how can I spend my time or how can I how can I engage in that learning, and then to have our work be a part of that. It just speaks to how professional development and learning, we're all connected. It doesn't matter if you're in Florida or New York or what's happening in Florida with their education system. It impacts us. And what happens here in Arizona, the work that we do can impact what happens in other states. And that's a super cool um, way to look at this is that what we do here in Arizona can be a model for other places. And the work that we did, we created it in a way that Wherever you're at, you can view through the equity lens, view through the adaptation, the mitigation lenses of climate justice and environmental justice and apply to where you're at. And that's what we need to be doing and understanding is that the solutions for what's happening in California are different than what's in South Dakota, what's in North Carolina, what's in Oklahoma, like all around. But we have to we have to engage in those conversations to to talk about what we can do for our communities and make that equitable so that all of our learners can have a chance, all of our community members can have a chance to do their best work. What I'm really excited about is the potential to bring the conversation to the 50 million students of the United States. And I, because I know we're living in a changing world and in a lot of ways there have been efforts to update education for the 21st century. A lot of them have been technologically focused, which can be wonderful. At the same time, bringing this conversation about the environment, our ecological awareness, how we, you know, regard nature, how we regard resources, how we regard really like, you know, supply, global supply chains, um, you know, that basically determine how, how our technology is even developed and how things come to our dinner plate or how things get to a store. Like being able to bring that conversation to the students will empower them to do the next steps that are going to be needed for our world. And we really don't know what those are. But if we're having the conversation, then the students are able to be prepared to at least be on the lookout, to find their role, to find, you know, their local context, as well as, you know, I hope that some students will be impacted by this in a way that, you know, they'll go on to develop environmental policy or they'll go on to, you know, create bridges uh, that, that span continents in order to really and truly, uh, you know, cultivate 
a shared understanding of, of respect for life and, and hope. Honestly, I feel like it comes down to hope in a lot of ways because, you know, there's these headlines that are coming out now, like would extinction be so bad or just, you know, completely like giving up, completely giving up on life, on earth, on people, on community. Um, but through really showing that we're, we're on, on it, you know, like we're trying to be with the curve and ahead of the curve now in uh, creating space for a conversation that empowers students with their knowledge and awareness. So I think it's great that educators can have access to the, these micro-credentials in order to then consider like what that can do for their classrooms and for their school campuses and communities. Yeah, and I'm really looking forward to like their answers and their what they suggest like and after taking the micro-credential, you know, because uh, if anything, that will give us ideas of what other states and people are doing. And then if it helps other people, then we could uh, implement those ideas that they have. Yeah, I like that you mentioned hope and that you mentioned this like interstate connection, right? Because you're right. Sometimes I feel like these climate conversations are very negative, right? And that's one of the things that I think parents and educators worry about when talking to young students is like, well, I don't want them to be upset about these issues, right? Um but one of the conversations that you guys had a lot in the past like day and a half of work is talking about shifting that conversation towards one of hope, right? And how if we all come together, this is an opportunity for us to make change. So what would you say to an educator or to a parent who's reticent about this idea that it'll make their students sad? How do we how can we have this conversation in a way that does empower and does provide hope and doesn't make people just, you know, give up? This, this is an interesting question because I just had this with my government students talking about um, community and democracy. And can we have community without democracy or can we have democracy without community? And this isn't going to be easy. Like the, the things that we, we know that we're, they're caused by humans, having people change their behaviors is a really hard conversation. So when we talk about water, when we talk about food, when we talk about energy consumption, like – changing those modifying those we're talking about jobs we're talking about careers we're talking about where people live and so it's not going to be easy but the, again there's hope if we come together if we could recognize the humanity in each other we recognize that the community that we have just sitting at this table talking the community that we have in the, the conference room going through the micro micro credentialing process um and we if we have that community there's a lot of action that can come out of that when we view what, what I do impacts you and what it, you do impacts us, it's like having that ground, having that be our foundation, it, it can lead us to actions that are positive and joyful, and we can recognize that we can have a positive impact. One of my greatest inspirations and role models, Vandana Shiva, has a quote that says, hope is cultivated. And it's that simple. It's hope, hope is cultivated. Hope is cultivated through actions and that we take our power back through our power, our possibility to make a choice. I like that. <clears throat> yeah. And it starts, you know, with the making a choice to learn, making a choice to think about how we're thinking about things, <clears throat> to th make a choice to try something new. You know, t once you get information about a subject to then act on that information in, in alignment with your, your consciousness is extremely powerful and it's extremely hard to do. But once you take one small action, the hope begins to grow because then you're creating the positive direction. And so uh, no matter how small that action is, you can build off of it. Even if it's just caring for one plant, even if it's just 
buying a local ingredient for your meal or talking to someone, you know, and encouraging them or sharing a story. I try to cultivate hope even just by sharing the stories of the students in the garden because then people are like, okay, we're going to be okay because the kids are, they, they get it. The kids get it. Mm -hmm. So I think that's a really, really wonderful part of it. And, uh, and our young people are, are trying to figure out where they're at. Like, where, what is their role? What, what are they going to contribute? What are they're seeing things around them? And they're thinking about what can they do to address that and giving them that opportunity within this conversation. Again, it goes back to like, just, we all have a part to play. And once we play that role, then it can lead to something different. It can lead to something more. It can lead to something smaller. It can, it can scale, it, maybe not but it, it gives us an opportunity for that hope to go someplace instead of just be sitting and with all this knowledge that something needs to be done. And so moving, being able to move students in that direction is, is, is fun to see throughout the year. And once they realize, oh yeah, I can do, I don't have to solve the world, but if I look at what I'm doing in my community, that can lead to some bigger discussions and that's fun. You know, what I love about this conversation is I can just hear, you know, the stress of educators, right? Like it, it almost hums in the air every time you walk in a school um, because everyone's feeling overworked, right? Everyone has too much to do and too little time and they feel like the world's art problems are already on their shoulders, right? Like, so why should they take on, you know, climate change as well, right? Like it's just another thing that we're asking educators to think about. And I think what's important about what both of you just shared is that it doesn't have to be separate from the curriculum. It doesn't have to be another ask. It is. It can be something fun. It can be something exciting. It can be embedded in what you're already doing and conversations you're already having. You know, reading a book about someone who is experiencing climate action, right? And who is living the life, right? Um, even just talking about like turning the lights off, right? It doesn't have to be this long, depressing conversation. And I was thinking about, you know, the story that you shared yesterday about you and your, your children and how you guys bought a Venus flytrap plant. And like, even that just like sparked joy and hope and like this understanding of how this plant worked. And I mean, that's just so simple. I mean, can you speak to like how, how did that conversation go? Like, how did it, what, what did you see in your students or in your, in your own children when you saw their reaction to this Venus flytrap? Okay, so my son, uh, he watches Blippi, and so Blippi <laughs> teaches a lot, of, <laughs> a lot of cool stuff, you know, like, and so the kids learn from it. So my son learns a lot from Blippi. So uh, Blippi had this episode about the Venus flytrap, and my son got really into, like, I want a Venus flytrap. So the other day I was walking through Home Depot getting, buying some stuff for the house, and then I, I happened to just walk through some plants, and then I was like, Venus flytrap, like, <laughs> I'm going to get that for my son and mm -hmm. my daughter. Like, I know they're going to be excited to get this. So then um, I, I asked the Home Depot uh, employee, like, where they were at, and he, he showed me where they were at. So I picked, I picked the best one, the healthiest one mm -hmm. I could find, and then I took it home. So when I got home, I told him, all right, close your eyes. I got you guys a surprise. And then uh, when they opened them up, they were excited. They were like, oh, <laughs> get a fly, get a fly, Dad. <laughs> so I, I went outside, swatted a fly, and then uh, I, put, I put it in the, right there, like, close to their, uh, like, mouth, I guess. And then it, I guess the trick is uh, you got to tickle the, they feel the, the hairs are the teeth, mm -hmm. and, and they got to feel sense. And then that's when they close their, the mouth. 
So because I had swatted the fly, it wasn't gonna do that. So I had to, <laughs> I had to tickle the teeth, the, the hairs, <laughs> and then it, it closed. It closed right in front of us. So they were excited to see that. It was awesome. So it was yeah. a learning experience for you too. Yeah, it was cool. I love how low key you're. Like, oh, I just like found a fly outside. I brought it in, and like the I had the plant eat it. And like I'm just imagining if I tried to do that, I'd be like running around the house like a crazy person. Like you're kind of like ninja level, but low key and oh, just okay. kind of. Yeah downplaying like that's pretty amazing like that's amazing that you like tamed a fly long enough <laughs> for it to feed it to a, a plant <laughs> yeah 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 you just gotta be patient you know patient and then um because the the plant didn't didn't close right away it took it took like two three minutes you know but they were they were patient you know a three-year-old and a five-year-old patient just looking at it, waiting <laughs> until it finally happened, you know, and they're, like, excited. Mesmerized, yeah. And then just seeing how, because it says, like, the acids or whatever the the Venus flytrap has will absorb it, and, yeah, that's, we've seen the whole process. It was pretty cool. Wow. So that's, um, that's agriculture, you know, that's, that's natural, you know, nature. So then talking about it, embedding it into the classroom, my psychology class, um, we learn about the importance of the outdoors, um, and the importance of like what our brain does and how it interacts when we get to fresh air and green areas and stuff like that. So throughout the quarter, um, we had a project of, of developing a plan for our physical and mental health. And then they have articles to read and then they come up with a plan, just a whole bunch of like bullet, bullet point ideas. Because when we experience stress or anxiety or depression, we may not have like, we may say, hey, go for a walk, but you're like, that's too stressful right now even to do that. But you may have, like, go stop and find a flower. You may have, like, go touch the grass or go go get your hands dirty in the, in the dirt, like, things like that. So embedding climate and, and environmental justice into even a psychology class, it's a natural fit. It's just being creative and trying to find how you can do that and then giving students something tangible to walk out with and say, okay, I'm, I'm super stressed right now okay, I'm going to go to this list. I have 15 things here. I don't want to do 13 of them, but, oh, I can do this. I can go on a bike ride. I can go do that, which is environmentally friendly. It's exercise. It gets us outside, gets us away from the screens that we may be causing our stress and anxiety. And so it's it's finding ways, like my passion is climate justice and, and indigenous history and history and um, doing these things. And so I'm for my joy at, in a, being a classroom teacher, I try to find ways to integrate that into what we do and then have the students have some action on that. And so it's like hearing Guillermo's and his story with his son and his kids interacting, and then it can be in the classroom. It doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be a monster because our young people will realize, and we realized when we went on our hike last a couple weeks ago, it's just nice to get out. It's just nice. It, you don't have to have an elaborate plan. You don't have to have, like, this is how we're going to occupy this 45 minutes with A, B, C, D. It's just like, let's get out there, and then we'll see a squirrel, and we'll chase after the squirrel, and we'll <laughs> find a rock, and we'll throw a rock. And, it, and that's what my son does when we go out. It's just like, what are we going to do now? We'll go jump off this, and we'll go do this. And it's like, oh, wow, did you see that, that cloud? And just giving that opportunity to realize the environment that we're in. And then the next level, what I need to do is then let's, let's talk about climate justice, like, I get them out there. They experience it. They feel it. But now let's let's really connect it to, do we like this air quality that we have right now? Do we Are we able to go to the water park or the river 
Like, what do we need to do to protect that? And so there's, a, there's more levels that I could be better at as an educator. But even just that simple step of a brain break, let's walk outside. Let's feel those leaves crunch between our, our feet. Let's, let's feel that breeze. Let's, oh, it, the sun is shining too hot. And it's like, dude, we're just out here for like a minute. <laughs> like, I get, I, uh, like, we can build that in to what we do to get them, our young people and us, that break that we need, that we enjoy when we're outside. You know, one of the things that you mentioned was the hike. And so I just wanted to uh, let you know that we don't have like a secret hike that like just the four of us go on for this environmental justice work. Um, Dylan and his son joined uh, the educators from across the Maricopa Valley um, in an educator hike in July. And we're actually having another one. So if you're like, ooh, that sounds really nice to just go out. There's literally no agenda. Um, (laughs) We just hike a random spot and it's February 11th from 8:30 to 11 um and this week we are act- or this month we are actually hiking um the starting at the Desert Foothills Trailhead so come and join us um you can sign up on our mobilize mobilize.us/aea and when you sign up um you will find out that we really just hike up the mountain, come down the mountain, and then we go eat some food. (laughs) It's really that simple. Talk about (laughs) what the experience was in different districts. um, And then, so this isn't even like you have to be like rich in climate justice, environmental, like, let's just get out. And then we'll see where this goes. We might establish a climate justice um, committee. We might, like, whatever that looks like. There's no agenda, so you don't have to come and say, okay, what am I going to sign up for now? It's let's meet people. Um, let's build relationships across the valley. Let's, uh, and then let's be outdoors while we do it. Like there's only so much screen time. There's only so much texting and, and whatever that looks like we have to, we need to get together and develop that community. Okay. So kind of wrapping up our podcast episode, um, I wanted to create space. Is there anything else you feel like educator to educator or parent to parent that you can share about environmental justice or, the experience of the micro-credentials or anything else you feel like educators need to hear right now? I think just in my experience that it's okay to feel it. It's, it's We're all going through this together, and there's not a right answer. There's not necessarily an outcome, but I do believe that if we don't tell these children the truth, like what is happening, the truth in all of its diversity, right, not just one thing, But if we don't tell them and guide them through this awareness, um, they're going to just be adults in a world that they really don't understand as well, like, you know, in their heart and soul. That's great. I would add, um, it's okay to ask questions. Like, let's just, let's just ask questions. Like, why do we have it like this? Why is the water this way? Where is the water coming from? And then allowing that to bring in the curiosity and joy to our learning spaces Yes, teaching is hard. Learning is hard too. Like what the students are going through throughout the day is hard as well. And so how can we be intentional about bringing joy, um, bringing happiness, bringing love around topics of racial justice, climate justice, all of these um, topics that are super heavy, super like, I mean, just you feel the weight of them because they are real and they are serious. Um, But uh, what can we do to foster that community with questions and joy throughout that process and then um i'm gonna say that everything i think everything also starts in childhood you know because uh my kids they're not in school yet but at home you know that we try to teach them everything we can at home 
So at home, I, I, teach, I teach my kids to be energy efficient. So, like, as soon as they leave their room or their playroom, they turn off the light, you know, turn off the light. And then also uh, these past couple of weeks, we've been getting a lot of rain. And so I, ha I have green grass. And then so as soon as it rains, I tell my son, like, hey, go hit the rain delay button on the sprinkler timer, you know, or turn it off. If, if it rained pretty heavy, we turn it off for, like, two weeks. And with that, the grass stays uh, pretty green. So I think everything starts at childhood, you know, like, um, when I go do stuff, I take my son with me and my daughter, and then I tell them why I'm doing this. And then they're also at that age where they're always asking, why? Why do this? Why that? Why do this? Well, we cannot leave this episode without our normal amount of homework. You know it's coming. At the end of every episode, there is some kind of task we assign you. So the task that we are going to assign you today is to go outside and look at something that is nature, whether it's like it's signing up for our educator hike, whether it is just going outside and feeling that breeze or that sun, soaking in the warmth for the um, little time that it's bearable, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, going and experiencing the snow, find some opportunity to go outside, get away from your screen for a little while, and just appreciate that we are part of this interconnected world. We want to give a special shout out to Josh Adkins from Paradise Valley Education Association for composing our theme song and another shout out to Carrie Wolf for producing each episode. If you want more information on other learn and lead opportunities and professional development made for educators and by educators, check out ArizonaEA.org slash professional dash excellence or reach out to your local president. If you're not currently a member and want to be part of creating opportunity for all students through the power of public education, you can join the Arizona Education Association by going to ArizonaEA.org backslash join. And that's the bell.